Let me read from Matthew 10, um, verses 26 to 39. So have no fear for them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, good morning and um, thanks for joining us, especially if you are just uh, tuning in either for the first time or you haven't been connected to the City Light community over time and have just have tuned in over these weeks while we've been in lockdown. It's great to have you with us. Uh, and it's great to, uh, to have you with us if you're a part of this church and, and meet regularly when we are able to meet face-to-face. It, um, it is, I was reflecting this week, it is the case that, <laughs> that we really look forward to the time when we'll finally be able to, to gather together and to worship together. And, um, and I think in speaking to people just generally... We just miss having that time to be able to meet with one another, to worship God together. But also, just to, it's just the little things, the, the banter about the week and getting to, to, um, to catch up on how things have been going. Um, but um, as it is, we, we have these means to be able to continue in fellowship online. Um, but we do look forward to the time when we'll be able to be back together. Now, one of the things that we'll be able to celebrate when we are face-to-face is a few of the, uh, of the births during lockdown, and I've got a couple of announcements just to celebrate in our church community at the moment. Uh, the first was just a couple of weeks ago, it's a family who have joined us just recently had little Peter, so we can, again, normally there'd be like applause and that sort of thing, I don't, I don't know what we do here, just a clap emoji or something like that, but congratulations, Sam and Paula and the family. Um, and also this week... We had the birth of August, so congratulations, Sam and Dave. Um, another amazing thing to celebrate. This is now our fourth baby in lockdown. So again, plenty to celebrate there, um, even during this time while things are so tricky. But it's, um, it is great to be able to at least you know, minister to one another in this way, to be able to do things live so that we are doing it at the same time. There is some fellowship in that. But I think what we have in, in the Scripture this morning is an incredible truth, an incredible promise from Jesus that addresses really, I think, our three deepest fears. I reckon there are three great and crippling fears that permeate most of life, and it's these three. The fear of other people, the fear of missing out, 
and the fear of death. And I think, look, if your life is anything like mine, you'll see these fears kind of woven throughout your weeks as we travel through lockdown. Just to illustrate in a couple of small ways, I remember just being struck by my fear of other people and their opinions a couple of weeks ago when I went to buy something in person when you're actually able to do that. And I went to get it because it was a gift and it was 50% off. And going into the store, as you probably do as well, you never want to announce from the start or you never want to check from the start, is this actually 50% off? You just go in hoping that it all kind of works out. And when it came to the time to actually buy it, the guy charged me the full amount. And at that moment, of course, the normal and natural thing to say would have been like, oh, are these 50% off or is that the right price? But in front of a guy who, whose name I don't know, who I'll never see again, I was too afraid to look tight and actually ask whether or not that was the right price. So I just went, yep, that's fine, yep, and paid for it, and away you go. Isn't that crazy just how much and what an impact other people's opinions have on us? The thought that someone might think I was tight was enough for me just to let it go through. Now, that's a small way, but in other ways, it can affect us in profound ways. But also, there is the fear of, of missing out. I don't know how it's affected you each time the announcements come through, when, it come, when the numbers are coming through, or when there are announcements about more restrictions, or the fact that this lockdown is going to be extended yet again. But oftentimes, my mind runs through all the things that I'll miss out on. The birthdays that are coming up, the opportunities to hang out. As you do the calculations on what's actually within your 10K and then 5K radius, you think of the people that are now outside of that, or the activities that you enjoyed that are now outside of that. And the sense of that, that we're about to miss out on something and the impending stresses and difficulties that come with that just prevail upon us. That's the fear of missing out. But thirdly is the one that I think affects all humankind, which is the fear of death. I'm generally a pretty optimistic person, but it's certainly been the case over this time that for the first time there have been moments where the thought has flashed through my mind that COVID could actually affect me and my life particularly. And this is an experience that people are experiencing the world over. But it is the fear of death that actually my time might run out. But the truth is that the gospel, the message of Jesus and the hope of Christ addresses all three of these fears that pervade our life. The fear of others, the fear of missing out, and ultimately the fear of death. And to know that if you know Jesus, that you have no reason to fear at all that in the gospel he is taking care of all three of these things and that you are safe and secure in him. So I'm going to pray that as we open God's word this morning, we would see that following Jesus casts out all fear and that it would minister to our hearts, that we might live as people who are set free and who are free to love and to serve others during this time. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you are the God who sets free. We thank you that you set us free from being captive to fears and that the gospel sets us free to live lives to follow Christ. And Father, we pray that this morning you would focus our hearts and minds on your word, that we might live for Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, that we might know the wonder of his love and forgiveness and that it might move us to love others. We pray all of this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, to give you some context of where we're up to, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, which is an account of Jesus' life and his teaching, his ministry, his death and resurrection. And it's recorded for us by Matthew, who we know from a few weeks ago was a tax collector, 
who in his day was despised by the people around him, considered a traitor of his people for collecting taxes for the occupying Roman forces. And we know that when he came to meet Jesus, his life was turned upside down and he started to follow Jesus. And so since then, we've been on this kind of this missionary training camp with Jesus where we are following along seeing Jesus heal people and change lives and also preach the gospel. And last week we were in Jesus' missionary seminar where he's preparing his disciples to head out on mission for him, to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves us and not only that but to continue his ministry of healing and helping people. And this week the story continues with him teaching his disciples not to fear. And so we pick up where we left off last week with Jesus teaching his disciples what it's going to mean to follow him and the dangers that will come with that. But here he's going to command them not to fear. And look at what he says right from the beginning in Matthew 10, 26 to 33. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Jesus says, have no fear of them. And to just backtrack a little to where we were last week, the them that he is talking about are the people who are going to reject them or even persecute or imprison them because they follow Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, have no fear of them because nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing is covered that will not be known. What he's saying is there is a day when God will judge all the earth and will set all things to right. And he's saying to them, have no fear because on that final day, who is right and who is wrong will finally and completely be revealed. This is similar to the kind of the, you might have heard the right side of history argument. That often when we are arguing over a matter of social or political importance, people might throw out the line, you don't want to find yourself on the wrong side of history. And the argument kind of follows that you don't want to be, when it comes to a matter of particular importance, You don't want it to be the case in the future that you find out that you were one of the bad guys. That in the future, when this issue is finally universally solved and everyone understands what was right and what was wrong, you don't want to be on the team that at that point was clearly in the wrong. And here, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, if you follow me, don't worry. You'll be on the right side of history. There will be a day when God judges the living and the dead and when it becomes clear who's right and who's wrong. He says, and if you follow Christ... Don't worry about it. You'll be on the right side. And so he says, what I tell you in secret, proclaim on the, on the rooftops. Jesus' ministry to his disciples was largely private. He did a lot of public ministry, but a lot of his teaching that we see recorded in Matthew is just him with a smaller group of disciples. But he's going to send them out on a very public ministry when they're going to declare that, they could, that people can be saved through Jesus publicly. And so he's saying to them, look, don't worry about it. People will reject you. They may even persecute you. But don't worry. You're on the right side of history. So what I tell you in secret, proclaim publicly. Be bold. Have no fear of them. And then he adds a second reason for them not to be afraid. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, don't be afraid. He says, don't fear them. Because ultimately, they are not more powerful than God. And this idea of fear in the Bible carries more than just the sense of being afraid. The idea of fear is the sense of, of considering something to be significant or almost being awestruck by something. It's the sense of awe or respect. And he says, don't fear people. 
Don't consider them more significant or powerful than God because ultimately they don't have power over your life. God does. They're not the ones who will judge the living and the dead. They're not the ones who created you or whose life in whose hands you are. And so he says, don't fear them. But so often it's the case, isn't it, that we treat people like their opinion or how they will treat us is the biggest and most important reality in the universe. And therefore their opinions are final and all-consuming. Ed Welsh, who's a psychologist and an author of the book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, wrote this on the matter. He says, We fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. And we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. He says, These three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is, more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to think, feel, and do. Jesus says, don't fear people. Do not fear them. They are not bigger than God. God is the one who you should fear, the one you should love. And isn't it crazy that the fear of God is the only fear that casts out all fear? Notice that when we fear other people and what they might do to us or say about us, we become entirely more selfish or less loving or more anxious. It produces in our soul unhealthy results. But our fear of God produces in us a joy and a wonder. In fact, when the Scripture talks about fearing God, the sense is the idea of kind of joy and fear mixed with wonder. You can think of it in this way. It was probably, gosh, what would it have been maybe a year ago now? We were down the, the south coast and we took the kids to uh, a spot just outside of Jarvis Bay. There was a, kind of a little, just a little rock quarry that had a rock pool that opened out to the, the open ocean. And while we were there, unexpectedly, we saw what we could see maybe 100 meters offshore was a whale breach. But then we didn't just see one. We saw two, three, four. Then we saw dozens of them. And then, in fact, for the next four hours we saw what would have been somewhere in the order of like a hundred whales that came by and were hunting and breaching and just basically just having a rad time. But it was incredible for us and for the kids to be able to see it. And anyone who came down to watch the whales and to see this spectacle, whenever you see a whale breach, the first thing people would just say is, wow. And I think the, the reason for that is when you see something that's that huge and significant, it produces in you a sense of, of just wonder. One of the sense of how powerful this creature is and how easily we would be destroyed if we were out there, but also the sense of just how incredible this thing is. It's a mix of kind of fear and wonder together. When the Bible talks of fearing God, it's that kind of fear, a sense of how incredible and amazing he is. And yet at the same time, the sense of his power, the sense that if it weren't for Jesus, what we would face is a God in angry judgment, and yet he welcomes us in as his children. Jesus says here, don't fear others, fear God. Fear God. And then he goes on to say why. Look at what he says in Matthew 10, 29 to 33. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
he makes the illustration of sparrows. He says, look, sparrows are cheap birds. Even relatively poor people in Jesus' day were able to afford a sparrow for a meal. And Jesus says, look, God even cares about them. And he says, if God even cares about a creature that is that small a part of his creation, how much more you, whom he loves and whom he made in his image? In fact, he goes on to say, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. That is, that is to say that God knows you better than you know yourself. None of us here would know exactly how many hair. I mean, we were talking about haircuts before, but none of us here exactly know how many hairs are on our head. And when Jesus says, even the hairs on your head are numbered, he's saying, God knows you that intimately. It's not that he's some far-off, distant force. It's not that he's some creative force that kind of wound the world up like a giant clock and left us to our own devices. It's that he knows you. He is intimately sovereign. You're not just a number to him. And so Jesus encourages them. He says, therefore, fear God. He is the one who loves you. And he encourages them, therefore, to acknowledge him before other people. He says, don't be afraid of what other people are going to think of you. If you know the God of the universe, then who cares what others say about you? And so he says to them, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before his Father who is in heaven. But following this, there is a warning. And he says here, if you are not willing to acknowledge him in front of other people, then he won't acknowledge you either. The truth is, you have a choice to believe in Jesus or to reject him. And the sad reality is that many people will reject the offer of free forgiveness from Jesus, the ultimate love in the universe, simply to be liked by other people. Jesus says, if you know Christ, you must acknowledge Christ. Part of the reason that Christians have had a tradition for 2,000 years of doing public baptisms is it's a way of demonstrating publicly that you follow Christ, that your name is caught up with His. It is meant to be the case that anyone who follows Jesus would have a public faith. Now that's not to say that Jesus is saying here, if you ever, in a moment of weakness, have denied Him before other people or denied that you were a follower of Him, that that's it. You've done your dash and there's no way back. In fact, we know that Peter, who was kind of captain for the disciples, denied Jesus three times, three times in Jesus' moment of need when he was going to the cross. And at the end of the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus restored him to ministry. He forgives and restores Peter. But he is saying here that to follow him will mean publicly acknowledging that you follow Jesus, even though you might lose face or even be imperiled. He says, but ultimately he is worth it, and he is worth that much. And sadly, he says, ultimately, that many people will choose to fear others' opinions of them rather than to follow God. So that's the first fear, the fear of others. That's how Jesus deals with that. But the second one is the fear of missing out. And look what Jesus says here about what it's going to mean to follow him. In Matthew 10, 34 to 36, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus starts here by saying something that would be incredibly shocking in our context, but even more so in an ancient context. He says, to follow him means you must love him more than even your own biological family. Now just think how shocking that is in the context that he's speaking in. In, the, in an ancient culture, family was everything. Family was your status. Family was your home. Family was your superannuation. It was all of your financial prospects. It was everything. And Jesus is saying to follow him means that your allegiance to Jesus will be even greater than that of your family. He says, I've come not to bring peace but a sword. And he says this because he knows that many people expected that when the Messiah came, that is the king that God had promised, the the Messiah that Jesus claims to be, they thought that he would bring peace and prosperity. And the truth is that he will one day. But until that day, he's saying it will be difficult to follow him at times, that it will create at times division. And we need to be clear about what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying that to follow him will mean going out of your way to create tension in your families. Now, it's quite clear, his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount was very clear that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we are to love other people, that we are to honor your mother and father. Jesus is not saying here that to follow him is creating some kind of sect where the way that you show your allegiance to him is by cutting off all other relational ties. But now what he is saying is that to follow him, to love him, to fear him, may mean that even the people who are closest to you will reject you. And that's really difficult. I read a book last year called The Happiest Man on Earth, which is the story of... uh, one Jewish man and his time um, in various concentration camps. And one of the most heartbreaking stories that he explains as he's sort of traveling through the narrative of how it is that he finally escaped and survived was the story of many of his Jewish compatriots who became what were called in the camps capos. And what a capo would do is it was someone who was, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it was someone who was appointed by the Nazi guards to to kind of look after or rule over or dob on the other prisoners. And so what it usually meant was one Jewish person who was given certain privileges in order to dob in or, or, um, or rule over the other Jewish inmates. And you're saying one of the worst things about it is that often these capos would dob in someone for doing something that they didn't do just so they would be taken off and killed and they could take their possessions. And he said the, the depth of this betrayal was so hard to bear Because not only was it so unjust in the first place, but this was someone who was meant to be suffering alongside them. Meant to be someone who was of the same ilk as them. And yet it betrayed them. It was a deeply painful experience. Jesus is saying that to follow him may mean that someone even that close to you may, may reject you. He's telling us in kindness up front, look, this could cost you everything. And for the people that he's speaking to, even his disciples, it did. It cost them a lot to follow Jesus. But there's also a comfort in what Jesus says. There's a comfort in it knowing that he claims to be something that is so good that it would be worth losing everything to have. That Jesus is actually that good that if you lost everything, even the thing that is most important to you, the the reason he picks up on family here is in that culture, that is the most important thing. 
If he'd said money, it wouldn't have had much impact because a lot of people only had enough money for their food for the week. So to lose all of their money often was a weekly experience. But family was, the, was everything. And Jesus is saying to follow him might mean even losing that and yet having everything in him. Because the truth is, if Jesus is not that good, then he's not really worth giving your life to, is he? At Alpha on Mondays, we've been running something called Alpha, which is for people exploring faith. And we came across this quote that I'd long forgotten from C.S. Lewis, where he says this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. When Jesus lays out this teaching here, that is exactly what he's saying. He's either worth losing everything for, or he's nothing at all. And that's why he says to his disciples, look, unless you take up your cross, and what that meant was really acknowledging that everything is lost to you. If you were to take up your cross, it meant you were about to be crucified. It was an act of death. And Jesus is saying to follow him means saying, I'm willing to leave everything behind to follow after Jesus. He says, unless you do that, you haven't really understood who I am. Unless you're willing to lose your life, you'll not save it. And the truth is, who would want to worship a God that was not worth losing everything for anyway? In fact, really, the definition of a God is something that you would be willing to lose everything for. That's what makes it a God, and everyone has one. Everyone has one thing that they'd be willing to lose everything else for. A job, a relationship, a career or achievement, a house, the approval of parents or a particular person. Everyone has something. The only question is whether or not that thing is worthy. And Jesus is claiming that he is worth it. He is worth losing everything for. And his right to claim this stands upon the fact that he is God and he has come to earth and is speaking to this group right here at this point because he is about to lose everything for them. That he came to earth to suffer and to die for people that had rejected him. And it means that he is worthy. Jesus says whoever, is, whoever tries to find his life by himself will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will find real life and life eternal. And ultimately, this is why you don't have to fear. Because if Christ is for you, then what do you have to lose? That if in him is life and life eternal, that means life after death, then what do you have to fear? Even if you were to lose everything, you'd find that you have everything in Christ. And this is how Jesus addresses that final fear, the fear of death. Because ultimately, if you lose your life to Jesus, you will gain it now and forever. And this ultimately means that you could lose everything in life and still have all that you need in Him. Jesus is greater than the fear of people, than the fear of missing out on anything in this life and even death. Jesus is that good. And so the question becomes, do you know this life? If you're tuning in and you're unsure about where you stand before God, the question that Jesus is posing to you this morning is, do you have something as good as Him? Something that would overcome the fear of others' opinions and what they might think of you or even do to you? Something that would overcome the fear of missing out in this life? And ultimately, something that can overcome the fear of death? 
If not, or if you have questions about this, we'd love for you to jump in with us on Alpha tomorrow night. We've got that, that Google form is there to, for you to let us know if you're tuning in and would like any more information. But we'd love for you to find out of the life that you can find in Jesus. Because Jesus' claims are not idle. They're huge and life-transforming. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. But if you are here and a follower of Christ, if you are here and someone who follows Jesus week in and week out, the challenge to you this week is to fear God over other things. Ed Welsh, in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, which, by the way, if you've never read it, is definitely worth your time. If you're looking for something to do over lockdown, definitely get your hands on that book. But in this book, he says, Anything that erodes the fear of God will intensify the fear of man. And so I want to put this question to you. If you're a follower of Christ here tuning in this morning, what is the first thing that grabs your attention in the morning? What is the first thing that you pay regard to in the morning? Because it's likely that that is the thing that's going to calibrate your fears for the rest of the day. If the first thing you pay attention to is your phone, or if you've got kids, you wake up after the kids and the first thing on your mind is whatever they're squabbling about or whatever their concerns are, I imagine it affects how you approach the whole rest of the day. One of the reasons that we want to be people who start the day by opening God's Word is that we might start by beholding the one who really matters, by beholding the God who loves us and is sovereignly in control over all things. Because the truth is, if the first thing we do, uh, do when we wake up is to open our phone and start doom scrolling, it's likely that we will be at the behest of those fears the rest of the day. So I'd encourage you over this time to make it the habit that every day you'd wake up and just steep yourself in God's Word that you might fear Him over anything else. That we might draw near to God at this time. That we might be a people who are marked by a deep love of God and a deep desire to know Him more. And that we might even see over this time Him minister to us in that way. That it might lessen our fears about what's to come and might lead us to be a people who live boldly and love others well. And so I'm going to finish our time by praying for us that we would be a people who trust deeply in Him and who love Him with all our heart and who cast our fears upon Him, knowing that He cares for us and knows even the very hairs on our head. Let's pray. Father, we praise You that You love us, that You are so good to us, that You are present with us, even in our difficulty and our suffering. And we praise You for the truth that in Christ we have all we need. So Father, we just ask that this morning, that you minister to us as a church, that we remember all we have in Jesus, that we might not fear others, that we might not fear missing out on things, but that we would know that because Christ has conquered death, that we have nothing to fear. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us in this for the sake of your holy name. Amen.